Hello, welcome to the Talking City podcast on the Manchester Evening News. Make sure to subscribe to us on Acast, the new platform that we're hosting these podcasts on. I'm joined today, as always, by Ian Cheeseman. Hello. And by Stu Brennan. Hello. And we've just seen the Premier League champions ease past West Ham at a London stadium. An enjoyable way day for you both? Yeah, the word I kept using when I was talking to fans after the game was uh, stroll. And not everybody got that word, but um, a stroll is what I thought it was. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that that was probably City's easiest victory of the season. Um, I can't think of any any game where they've put, when I say put less effort in, it sounds like I'm dissing a man or not. Um, clearly they did what they needed to do and, and control the game, but they didn't really need to break sweat. They weren't running around at a million miles an hour, they were just doing enough. Um, obviously not David Silva at West Ham and he's been such a crucial player all season that normally you notice a difference when he's not playing but didn't really notice a difference with that. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a, a stroll, didn't you, Stu? I did, I did. I was quite surprised because uh, afterwards I was uh, I was airwigging on the uh, the radio interviews with Pep. I was, I was sort of going listening uh, just to see if he says anything interesting. And uh, one of the, the London-based radio interviewers was absolutely enthusing and saying, Pep, that was a wonderful display. Uh, you know, can it get any better than that? And uh, Pep kept a very poker face. I was sort of looking at him as if to say, has he not been watching you all season? He's been three times as good as this at certain points of the season. But obviously this guy's been watching West Ham all season. <laughs> he thought that, uh, that what City did was, was world class. Well, they, they just did enough, didn't they? You know, they, they, just, they just sort of eased through the game. Um, it was interesting to see. I wonder if this might be a factor next season as well. And then I noticed he highlighted it on Match of the Day later. They slaughtered West Ham on Match of the Day, didn't they? They did, in, in that they, they pretty much gave up. They almost, you know, there were players who were saying, we're not going to beat these. What's the point in running around, you know, running ourselves silly? Let's just keep our keep our energy for the games we can win, uh, and just let them have the ball and hope that they don't beat us by too many. And I just wonder whether that'll be. It. I mean, we've seen that with one or two teams, certainly in the last three or four months. Um, and they, they made the part again on match of the day that the lower division teams in the cup, like Wolves and Bristol City, um, Cardiff. A one that well, not Cardiff, Cardiff didn't actually. They did they, bully, but, yeah, yeah, they, they, they tried to cut things a little bit rough, but they didn't. They didn't really push City. Um, but certainly Wolves and Bristol City both just went out and had a go. But you're going to get that in the cup, aren't you? Know because if they get beat six seven nil, it doesn't really matter because everyone's expecting it. Whereas you, you know, West Ham and, and Stoke and teams like that um, are quite happy to let City win the game, uh, but. You know, as long as they don't get embarrassed, they just they just prepare to sit in and, uh, and and not do too much. I just wonder if that if that'll be a factor next season, whether teams are going to be going out beaten before they even start. I mean, we've touched on this in the past, haven't we? United had that a little bit, and Liverpool had it a little bit um, in the seventies and eighties. Um, and it, it it struck me that, that that's that's what was happening with West Ham. They, they weren't busting the gut to try and win the game, even though they're not not clear relegation. And uh, you kind of think that the City could have quite a few games like that next season. And it's not just a team either. I mean, what struck me was that, I mean, I know it was a different stadium, but I've been to Upton Park on many occasions and uh, it's always been a, 
you know, very, I suppose I could, yeah. I, I could produce the cliches now and say <laughs> typical East End sort of atmosphere and, you know, you walk through the streets around that, that Upton Park ground and it feels feels sort of rough and ready already and, and then you get inside and there's a passion inside the ground. Obviously, the players and the fans were closer together physically. At that stadium, a lot further apart, that may have been an, a factor and obviously they've increased the capacity. So they've perhaps got a different type of fan now that they're attracting because of the cheap ticket prices rather than the sort of passionate fans. But having said all that, West Ham are, whether they admit it or not, and they must realise this, in a still in a relegation dogfight. I know they're above the drop zone and I know Southampton until this weekend had been in sort of almost free fall, so you might have already written the bottom three off. But West Ham are still very much in it. And so therefore, whilst uh, I agree with you, Stuart, that uh, they you know they look beaten right from the word go, I, I was staggered that even if the players went out with the mentality of we've got two or three games to go here and those are the more winnable games, which is a questionable logic, but nevertheless seems to be the way that they, they think these days, I didn't think the fans would think that way. I thought I thought the fans would 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 be a lot more up for it, and it was silent at times. Yeah. To a to a degree I've never really witnessed before. Now I mean I'm I'm sat there last, you know, yesterday as a City fan stroke journalist who has watched City play it, as I say at West Ham and plays like that many many times before, um, and although the game had no jeopardy in it, no tension in it from a City perspective. I certainly felt that it sh- it would have and should have had that from the West Ham perspective, but it looked like it was a, a friendly, a testimonial or whatever to them, as much if not more than City, which really, really staggered me that. Yeah, yeah, the, the last few years going to West, go, certainly going to Upton Park with City, it has been intimidating and they've always been up for it. Like you say, the crowd and the players, I mean, City, City have taken the, the two or three defeats and certainly my time covering them. Down there, and I'm sure you see many more than that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Always, it's always been a really difficult place to go as a fan and as a player. Mm. But the London Stadium just isn't, is it? No, you it's, know, it, it feels like it's, it's everything that's surrounding the club yeah. at the moment. All the all the ill feeling and all the discontent. You know, they they were sort of moved to West Ham. This, the idea was that they were going to be a world class team in a world class stadium, weren't they? And they've ended up with neither. Really, they've ended up with a with a lower class team in a. Stadium, in a, yeah, that's a stadium that just isn't suited for football. So uh, you just get a feeling is it's a shame, really, because it is. You know, you, you know, I've had some, uh, as I'm sure you've had, had some tricky uh, situations down at West Ham back in the eighties. You know, but having having said that, I've always had a lot of respect for them as a club. I mean, I used to love that team that they had in the seventies and early eighties. You know, the, the Brooking, Devonshire, and Lampard and Billy Banzer. I used to love watching them play football. You know, I thought they were a pure football team, um, and it's such such a like you say a basic working class club, um, and it just felt like going home in some ways. Apart from the fact they were trying to kick lumps out of half the time, <laughs> but uh, but you know it, it has become something that you wouldn't want it to be. You know, it's sort of become disparate and mm. and uh, unhealthy and th- th- there wasn't a very, very nice feel to it. And the fact that City just went out and scored four goals without without breaking into into third gear, really, was uh, just about says it all. Mm. I mean, I, I, I actually saw a, a protest march outside the ground. Not sure everybody saw that, but I just happened to be, if you like, in the right place at the right time as a group of West Ham fans probably... 
I guess about 150 walked past with banners saying, you know, we we object to the owners and everything. And um, it makes you realise, I suppose, well, it, it made me feel like West Ham have completely lost their identity. Mm. I know they had a pie and mash shop outside uh, with Joey Deal's soup or whatever they call it. Um, Were they dancing about singing any old lion? <laughs> yeah. Well, but it makes you realise perhaps that you know, moving to a new stadium like that, and City had the same thing when they moved into the Commonwealth Games Stadium, that, you know, the danger is that you completely lose your identity. Now, I know it took fans, City fans a while to adjust, but I, I think because um, Bob Scott, who was the leader of uh, the Olympic bid initially and then the Commonwealth Games bid for Manchester, had the foresight, along with Francis Lee or whoever it was that was was involved, I think it was Franny Lee who was involved at the time, to envision that stadium as a football stadium right from the off. And if people remember, there might be people listening who don't even remember this, but the stadium was built in an arc, in a horseshoe shape, and then one end was open because that was the only way you could fit in a full running track. And also it was only built initially with two tiers, so that then when you went down, you had the stadium effectively enveloping the, the pitch much more, and when you brought in the final end, you gave it a real football club and football stadium identity. Now West Ham moved into that stadium after the Olympics um, because they needed somebody to move in. And again, you'll remember that Lake Orient were objecting and wanting to move in themselves. Uh, and who knows, maybe no football club would have moved in. But the way it's happened, I, I had a, I don't know if you did this yesterday, you probably didn't, Stuart, because you were, you were thinking more in terms of the football, but I had the time to mooch about underneath. I was, I was busy having two breakfasts. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's fair enough, yeah. And there was a, and you can see the temporary nature of the stands. Yeah. So the, the whole thing just feels... It's like a hollow shell, isn't it? It is a hollow, yeah, that's a great word for it, a hollow shell, and it... I feel really sorry for the West Ham fans because, yeah, like you yeah. say, you, you know, you and I, whilst they may have been rivals for, for whatever team we were watching, you, you have a, a kinship and a bondship with them that perhaps we don't at some of the other clubs. And I mean, obviously, West Ham gave City a guard of honour. Um, you know, and I think West Ham and, and City, two, two clubs, two teams, two sets of supporters who, are, who don't have massive amount of animosity towards each other and maybe can identify with each other. Because West Ham have, you know, the academy of football, always wanted to play football the right way. So I'm sure on that basis, now they look at the current City team and think, well, that's what we would dream of as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's interesting that it's just how wisely City have invested as well. It goes back to that and West Ham fans must be ruined thinking that should be us almost. And it shows, just again, highlights such a good job that's been done at City, the longevity. And when they got that initial investment, they were always looking towards the future. It wasn't just a case of spending money for the sake of it. It was building the club in the right way. And they're going to be Premier League champions in a record fashion this year. So it's paid off well. And like you said, the Guard of Honour again, a nice gesture. So there's going to touch. be five guards of honour, by the way. It's going to be a, I think a record-breaking yeah. number of guard of yeah. honours. And it's again, it's down to the clubs. It's not compulsory. It's a sign of goodwill, and there's no denying how good City have been. Like you said, they didn't really ever enter top gear yesterday. It was a bit of a lethargic display, and like you said, not necessarily the the most convincing display at times either for City. There was a bit of vulnerability at the back at times. West Ham's goal came from a defensive lapse. Should have been a penalty. They punished from the free kick. There's also that chance where Edison was shoved off the ball by Arnautovic and he poked into the goal. Do you feel that, 
I know you wouldn't want your City to be exposed like this, but maybe West Ham missed a chance to get at City yesterday. Well, you can't blame City for losing a bit of focus. I yeah. mean, as much as Pep Guardiola wants them to try and target these records to keep them going, it's human nature yeah. that when you've won the league... Uh, and to be fair to, to match the day last night when they were talking about it, you know that well, that was pointed out. If you could forgive one team for taking their eye off the ball a bit and uh, not quite being at it, then you, you probably could forgive City. Um, but you know the fact is that they were not quite what they were, and defensively they were exposed from time to time. I mean, the first two goals, one was a deflection, one was off the backside of Pablo, which I believe he, he later claimed in the mix zone. He, he was claiming it in the mix zone. Yeah. He said he, it was his, uh, he wanted it added to his City goals time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And it was City's 100th goal in the Premier League this season. It's quite fitting in a way. It wasn't going to be a City player, it was Pablo who yeah. got a goal, a rare goal for City, but another one nonetheless. And, uh, well, the whole way he reacted at the end of the game as well. Classic. I mean, I've never seen that before where uh, I know Stuart will have had his head down typing his match report, but I was watching it and, and Zabaleta headed over to the group of City fans. Now, there weren't many West Ham fans still in the ground at that yeah. stage because most of them had, had drifted off. But if that ground had still been full of West Ham supporters, I wonder how they would have reacted watching Pablo Zabaleta rather than stay in the group of West Ham players, go to the group of City players right in the middle of them. And I think he wanted to walk over to the City end with them, thought better of it and did a distant wave in the end and walked away. But for a little while, he was in the thick of that group and he thought, is he still a City player here? I mean, you know, what's going on? Boy washing ears though, isn't he? That's the problem. Well, the, 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 I mean, the fans were singing his name yeah. right from the kick-off. They were really singing nice his name at the end. And it was it was great. And he he's loved by City fans. And I think he's going to go down, not just as a hero from, from winning the two titles that he did while he was at City, but he's going to go down as a as one of those... Not cult hero because that that infers that he didn't he doesn't deserve his place as a legend or a hero, but he will be remembered as something extra special, um, you know, probably because of the number of times he wore a bandage round his head with <laughs> blood pouring out of it, or went into tackles that he had no right to win, you know, but still went into them anyway, you know. That you can't can't help but love a player who has that sort of commitment, and, and that doesn't mean to say that. I mean, we've talked about players like Yaya Toure in the past. You know, Yaya doesn't give that vibe. I think Yaya cares just as much. Yeah, he's just a different type of player, different physique, plays in a different way. But Zabaleta, just like uh, I mean, I'll throw an older player out. Danny Tiato had, had an affection. He wasn't the best of players. Uh, even Nigel De Jong, you could you could argue, isn't as good as the players of today. But they gave off a body language and a vibe which. Players and, and obviously Vinny does it now. Vincent Company that that fans love absolutely love. So even when they have a bad day, even when they miss a tackle, they'll forgive that player because they know that the absolutely you know bleeding blue blood to do it. Um, so Zabba's always going to be a, a hero in that sense, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He is, yeah. And the, the other side of the coin is that he's. Uh, I mean, and it comes across to fans because he, he used to live in Didsbury, didn't he, for a while when he was. The first few years he was playing at City, so he was a bit more accessible than the ones who sort of squirrel themselves away in Cheshire. So fans used to meet him quite a bit. You know, if you're knocking around Didsbury, there's a chance you'd bump into him because he used to go and do his shopping there and that kind of stuff. And as you know, Ian, he is a genuinely lovely man, isn't it? You know, yeah, he's, he, he's he's just he's just no edge to him. Uh, you meet footballers all the time, and a lot of them are all right, but he was just genuinely decent and genuinely down to earth. 
Um, and that that put itself across. So I, I think that's why he, that, that's that's why he plays the way he does because he, he does relate to the fans. Um, the fans relate to him, um, and he, he goes out and plays like a staunch City fan would play. You know, going into every tackle hundred percent, never never stinting a thing. And uh, I think that's why he. That that that's put those two things together, and you've got you have got a legend, don't you? You know, you've got somebody who fans will always remember. You know, and he was the fact that he was in the in the mix zones uh, talking about City um, and, and saying, you know, what a wonderful team they are. When you know he, he could have left the club under a cloud, you know, he, he was sort of told he he probably wasn't going to be needed any longer. And there are some players in the past who might have. Uh, taking umbrage at that, but you know he, he understood the decision and he's, he's taking it all in the right way, and uh, he's still got a big affection for the club. And you can imagine that when his playing days are over, you can imagine him coming back in some capacity. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I don't know if you were with me the first time <coughs> I met Pablo Zabaleta in, in an interviewing sense when we were on the top floor of the uh, the, the stairwell in the stadium on the sort of um, main Colin Bell stand side. And uh, I can't remember who, who it was who brought him over, but one of the press team brought him over and said, uh, and they said it to me because I was doing the radio interview, um, he doesn't understand English particularly well, but he wants to try out his English. He's having lessons, he's doing it two or three times a week, so he's, he's asking you to be patient. So when you interview him, please bear that in mind, you know, keep it simple English and he will give it a try and everything. So we got this big briefing, and then he sits down, and, and almost in a Mancunian accent right from the word go, he says, oh, don't worry, you know, I'll have a go. I mean, obviously, I'm not exactly paraphrasing him, but he was real, sort of, sleeves rolled up. I want to yeah. I want to learn this language, I want to talk to you, I want to have this relationship with you. And then, very quickly, he became in the mix zone. I mean, obviously, I don't do this type of thing anymore, um, at least for now, you know, but uh, when, when he... When you were at a European game particularly, and there was this massive demand for players, who was the player who always stopped, who ever serviced all the interviews, mm-hmm. always with a smile on his face? Uh, Pablo Zabaleta, just just a brilliant guy, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, just a little personal anecdote from me. You, you, you probably remember this one. His, his dad was seriously injured in a car crash mm. in Argentina a few years ago, and Pablo was given uh, leave to go fly back to Argentina because he didn't know whether his dad was going to make it or not. So he flew back to Argentina, um, and I, I just wanted to express some solidarity in him because he'd always been great with us. So I, I didn't, I didn't. Obviously, we don't have the phone numbers of these players these days, but we, you can get them through social media. So I sent him a tweet, just saying, you know, uh, all the best. Hope your dad's okay, and uh, good to see you back at City. Yeah, you know, just just a, a general yeah. good wishes kind of message. I never thought, I thought he probably won't see it, but he's probably getting thousands of these things, you know. Um, and then after his dad, his dad got better, you know, and he came off the critical list and Pablo came back and resumed his career. And I was at the media centre at the old Carrington training centre. I was just standing, it was quite a nice sunny day, standing outside. I can't remember why, but I was obviously waiting to do an interview or something. And a car uh, went past and through the barriers and then all of a sudden it stopped and it reversed about 50 yards and wound the window down, and it was Pablo, and he just shouted over, Stuart, thanks very much for uh, for your best wishes, it meant an awful lot to me, thank you. <laughs> just, think, yeah. Yeah, just little touches like that, that that make things different, don't you know, the fact that he he actually spotted the message, and, and he remembered it, despite everything that had been and going on. And made the effort to say it. And made the effort to do it, you know. Mm. 
So just, just little things like that, that that sort of set him apart, and fans notice stuff like that. You know, they, they do they do tune into it. So great footballer, great human being. When he, when my lad was eighteen, he gave him his shirt. <laughs> and like you say it's, he's playing like a fan with a sh- heart on his sleeve and you can imagine even when he retired playing he'll be in the city away end for a few games won't he with the, with the blues I'd be staggered if the club don't use him as some sort of ambassador yeah. or I mean obviously at the moment and, and obviously I love him too but Paul Dickoff is the, yeah. the go to uh, ambassador who travels all over the world at the moment he was in Thailand this last weekend and he's been to China and Vietnam and you name it uh, all helping City out and when they'd won the league and on the Monday morning the players were scattered all over the place because obviously they didn't expect to win it with the defeat by United against West Brom it was Paul Dickoff that sat there for 12 hours doing radio interviews and stuff yeah. through, for all through all the day well you can imagine that once Pablo hangs his boots up um, if he's going to stay in this country which is a different question of course mm-hmm. but somebody like him uh, would be the perfect face for City going forward who, who the fans would uh, I can't, you know they don't need to identify with him because they already identified yeah. to him he'd be perfect no, it's good what he represents as well as the, the new City and the old City as well it's all together yeah. as one he's yeah. the, like said, the perfect player for the club um, another player speaking about the West Ham game that we can't go and miss Raheem Sterling three assists for him Garth Crooks on the BBC said he's the only thing between him and Mo Salah are the goals this season. I mean, Sterling's got 23 this season, but he could have more if he's more clinical in the box. But it's not just about that. It's what he's progressed under Pep this season. Again, he sort of embodies everything the City have stood for this season. Raheem Sterling, uh, how impressed with him have you been, Stu? Hugely uh, impressed. I mean, I, I sort of focused my match report on him, uh, saying that two years ago, uh, well, under Pellegrini, yeah. He was a fringe player, he was on the periphery and you, we thought he might be on his way out because he just hadn't fitted in. Then a year ago, under Pep, he found a focus, he was he was told exactly what he wanted him to do, uh, which was get the ball and go at players and try and make things happen, which he started to do, but as we all know, the end product wasn't necessarily there. He scored a few goals, but he missed an awful lot more. Uh, his crosses, his final ball wasn't, wasn't always mm. good. Uh, now we, I think we're seeing him honing his game to the point where he's making use of it. He's scored yeah. twenty three goals. I mean to say that he's 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 Mo Salah, but without as many goals, I think he's nonsense. He's I mean, Sterling, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think it's a fair comparison. The different players, and you think what was Salah like three years ago? Yeah. You know, he was being bumped off by Chelsea, and uh, people were thinking he wasn't good enough for the Premier League. So you know, that was him. That was him at twenty three. Raheem Sterling at twenty three. He's bossing the Premier League. You know, so you kind of think maybe in three years' time we might be talking about Sterling in in Salah terms. And I, I think you can see it. You can see his game progressing. Yeah. You can see him getting better, uh, not on a game by game basis, but certainly on a month by month basis. You know, I think he's improved enormously this season. Um, and just just the calmness with which the, the the last two goals uh, he laid on the uh, laid on the the pass. And both times he had the ball for yeah. for a, a while, and he weighed up his options. He kept the ball. He looked at what was going on, laid it perfectly for Jesus. The second one he laid it perfectly for Fernandinho. He probably wouldn't have done. He certainly wouldn't have done it two years no. ago. He'd have just tried to Run squeeze off his shot or just blindly put it across the box. Now he's thinking more about his game. I think Alan Shearer said on match today he slowed down a little yeah. bit. Which he has because he was so bloody out to skelter. He was <laughs> he was all over the place, you know, and he he couldn't. He was going out of control quite a lot of the time, 
he's got that little bit of control about him. And I think that's what that's what Pepper's tried to coach into him. Um, because you know you think about Pep and, and Lionel Messi, that's one thing Messi has got. He's he's, he's at speed, but everything is completely under yeah. control, and that's what makes him a great player. I'm, never, I'm not saying that Sterling will ever be Messi, but he's sort of getting along along the same lines in that he's he's moving at pace. He's now getting more control over the ball. He's finding the goal. He's finding the teammates. He's he's becoming a really really top class footballer for me and somebody who who other teams absolutely dread playing yeah. against. I wonder whether what uh, <clears throat> all great points, uh, which you can't disagree with the word about, I wonder whether in the long run, once Mendy is fully up to speed and he's playing in, in City's team every week, and obviously Carl Walker's essential in this as well, whether Pep might actually swap Sane and Raheem Sterling's sides. Because at the moment... Um, and. When I've been watching Sterling, certainly two years ago, um, whenever Sterling swapped to the left, he didn't look right, it didn't work for him. He was looked far better on the right-hand side. And he's principally been playing, playing on the right, although, as we know, with the system that City play, there's a lot of movement within that, and Sterling comes a lot into central positions. And there are even moments within games, briefly, when the players swap sides. But look, looking at, you know, you've identified Messi, we're talking about Salah, both left-footed players who play on the right. I've started to watch Sane now and start to think that play, opposition teams have, have slightly sussed him. And he's, he's got fantastic speed, you can't take that away from him. But there are occasions when he's stuck out on the flank and he tries to go around the outside because that's his natural way and the defender's prepared for that. And when he comes inside, it sort of runs away from him slightly and he loses possession. Now, Sterling had that problem, and he, he's developed. He really feels that he's a, a player who's massively developed under Pep, as you said. Um, but I wonder whether, ultimately, once City have got two pacey wing-backs that are going to be almost like wingers, maybe a back three behind them, that you can then afford to swap these two round so that um, you know Sterling's coming in on his right foot from the left, from a narrower position, and Sane's coming in from the right, on his left foot from a narrow position. Now, that, none of that needs to be rigid, and I'm sure it won't be rigid under Pep, but maybe we'll see that more often, and maybe that will be a way that Sterling can start to score even more regularly because of the positions he'll be in, and the same even with Sane. Um, and and then the comparison with Salah and Sane can start, you know, and, and uh, you know sw- switch your head around, and Raheem Sterling can be a a right-sided version of, dare I say, Messi. That's what you're hoping for, isn't it? Well, he has, he has dabbled with Sterling in that central position before, hasn't he? You yeah. Know, him and in fact, He's even he, played him as a striker, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was noticeable on on uh, on Sunday uh, after he, he brought Nemecha on and we presumed, you know, Nemecha for Jesus and we thought straight swap, Nemecha goes central, which is where he normally plays for the, the EDS or the, the under-18s. Um... But he didn't. He pushed Nemecha out to the wing and put Sterling central. And I thought it was quite telling afterwards. Pep, in his ra- again in his radio interview, was talking about how we're already looking to next season. We're, we're trying solutions for next season. We're looking looking ahead. And you kind of think, well, that, Sterling in that more central position. Um, I think he probably also wanted him to get a, get a goal because then you know he, he, he deserved one. Um, 
and he would have, you know, would have just pepped him up a little bit. And the more, the more he scores, the more confidence he gets. The more confidence he gets, the more he scores. Seems to be the the way with him. Um, so you, you just sort of wonder then as well: is he is he sort of thinking like you say, push Sterling a little more central? Mendy gives a width on the left, and he could play. He could even play Sterling as uh, as one of the two. You know, Sterling with Aguero. Mm-hmm. Even even Sterling with Sane, you know, yeah. we, we we don't know Sane can play more centrally if he needs to. Um, he's just got so many options, hasn't he? Uh, and and Sterling being a bit more central is is one of them for sure. Yeah, while Sterling was creating the goals, one unlikely goal scorer yesterday, Fernandinho. It's a deserving goal for him after a fantastic season. Again, and you said he's been maybe the player of the season for City this season. We discussed last week how De Bruyne should have won PFA Player of the Year, even though he's probably not City's best player this season. Fernandinho again looked absolutely class, and he just absolutely controlled and dictated the entire match. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know that you you were talking to Fernandinho, Stuart. You told me the story on the way back from West Ham, and which I'm sure you'll you'll tell uh, the listeners in just a second. But Fernandinho is a is a player who I just adore. I mean, he looks like an athlete. Uh, he, he he flows over the ground. He's got all those sort of um, cliched characteristics of a Brazilian have been been good close control and 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 seeing the game. And even though he's ostensibly a you know, a defensive midfielder. I mean, there's a lad called Ron McDonald, I think he's called, who plays in the under-18s, who I was watching at the weekend as well on Saturday, who is a defensive midfielder in the older mould of, of winning tackles and, and that sort of thing. Fernandinho isn't like that. You know, he's the type of player who nicks possession and then immediately looks forward. And there were stages in that game at West Ham, all right, City weren't playing as well as we know they can perhaps were in a lower gear, but when he was popping up on the edge of the penalty area, even on the byline practically, you know, setting stuff up, he scored the goal. Um, he, th- he can do anything. He could play anywhere. And, and right at the beginning of, of, of the time when Pep came in, when I was still into him, Pep, in, in sort of one-to-ones or, you know, doing the, the radio-style interviews, I remember saying to him, you know, that Fernandinho what was like your key player, did you see? Did you see him as your key player? And it's the only time that I've noticed him do this. But his eyes actually lit up as if to say, "You're the only one who can." I don't yeah. mean. I don't mean this in quite the arrogant way it sounds. But you know, you're the only one who's seen this because you're right. He is a key player for me, and I and I feel he is. And for all the attributes that Silver and De Bruyne and Aguero and Jesus and Mendy and all the rest of them have. There's something about Fernandinho that I really identify with because he combines um, some of the elements of Pablo Zabaleta, you know, that sort of, you know, the warrior, running yourself into the ground. All right, he might not have as many bandages <laughs> around his head, but he has got a bit of that about him, I think. But he has also got all these these silky skills. So um, it might not be a popular choice, and most people might say ridiculous, you know, it's got to be De Bruyne, it's got to be Silver. But for me... This season, if I had to pick one, it was my vote. I would actually pick Fernandinho as my player of the year. He's the one who makes De Bruyne and Silva tick. And he gives it facilitates what he gives them. Whatever cliche you want to use, he gives them the platform. You know, he's, he's the one who allows it to happen. He allows the magic to happen. Um, I was disappointed for Fernandinho because for me, he's been outstand, the outstanding Premier League player in that position, without a doubt. He didn't make the PFA team of the year. I asked him about that. I mean, it's, I wasn't I wasn't trying to bully him up because I do genuinely believe it. And I said, you know, do you never get a little bit annoyed that uh, you know David David Silver and Kevin De Bruyne, everybody's been 
um, shouting about them from the rooftops this season. So, but if you ask City fans who watch you week in, week out, they will, to a man, they will all say that you are every bit as important and have been every bit as good as those two. And he just started laughing and said, no, no, I just feel lucky to be playing with players like that. Um, he's, you know, he's quite a modest man. He's, he's not... He's very much a team player. He's just happy that City have won the league and that he could be part of it. Um, and he does... The sacrifices he makes, I mean, he's just come back from a two-match suspension, uh, topping up 10 yellow cards. Uh, but that's part of the game. Yeah. You know, he, he, you know, there's been a lot made about City tactical foul. And he did tactical foul. But so does everybody. You t- and in the history of football, it's always gone on. You know, you, you bring a player down if it looks like he's going to launch an attack. You know, you do it for the team. And Fernandinho takes more for the team than, than anybody else on that City team. And it means he's missed some important games down the years. You know, he's, he's, he's been, he had a couple of red cards last season. I pointed that out to him as well. I said, do you need to improve your disciplinary record? Because he had those red cards last season. He said, only two. And only one in the Premier League. The other one was in the Champions League. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you've had 10 yellows and you've missed. He, he said, yeah, you said you always look to improve. And maybe that's that's an area that I, I can look to improve. But you got the feeling when he was saying it, he was thinking, nah, nah, nah I'll, I'll carry on doing what I'm doing because that's that's what, it, you know, he, he did make the point we've got a big squad. So, you know, yeah. Gundogan's come in and done a good job when he's not been there. So if he has to, if he has to take a booking, which means he's, he's missing missing games, well, he, he's quite prepared to do it. And But that, that's the kind of player he is. He's, he's understated in the... Well, I say that. I mean, he's not understated, really, is he? Because <laughs> some of his passing, some of his passing is is as good as the bronze. Uh, his touch is as good as silver's. He's he's not he's not just the the player who drives City forward, the player who wins tackles and sets things up. His passing is is top class a lot of the time. Some of the passes that he comes up with, a couple of passes yesterday, West Ham was sensational. Fence open, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He does split defenses yeah. uh, with a. A little slight, yeah. There was one in, when uh, to Sterling, wasn't it? Was it when Jesus was standing about ten yards offside, and everyone thought, "Why is he passing to him?" And then, then you realise he wasn't. He was actually putting it through for Sterling, and the idea was that Jesus left it, which he did. Um, yeah, he, he does. He does that on a regular basis. He's not just like once or twice. So yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's phenomenal. He's he's been. Uh, I would I would go so far as to say in the last four years, City's best player. Well, there you go. That's even better than player of the year, isn't it? And the other yeah. thing is, of course, City have been linked with Fred uh, Weigel from from Dortmund Georgie, and one or two others, yeah, who are clearly uh, defensive midfielders. Which you'd think, you know, and, and the reason why they're, they're looking at that, I suppose, is because they look at Fernandinho's age. Uh, is it about thirty-two now, yeah, something like that? Yeah. Um, and and you know, you think, well, players might start going off at that age. I look at Fernandinho. And you know he he could be twenty five physically. He's, he's slight. No yeah. There's not there is not an ounce of fat on him. He's the definitive athlete, isn't he? I think he could play on in that position at this level for another five years. I, I wouldn't even hesitate to think that it's a difficult position to play play at that level. At the yeah, level, uh, that, that's a fair you know, point. That. When you champ, when you win Champions Leagues, yeah. but but certainly at a very very high level. He could play for another four or yeah. five years. I think. Yeah, yeah. Since yeah. the only thing that would stop him would be an injury, so and not be able to keep up that sort of level continuously. Mm. I think because he is so um, 
consistent. That's what keeps him so fresh as well because he's putting the same levels in every week. And like you said earlier, um, City fans know how good he is. It's just maybe the wider audiences don't always appreciate him because they don't watch him week in, week out. They only see the highlights of match of there. They only see the wonder goals from De Bruyne, the passes from David Silva, and they don't appreciate the talent they've got there. But I think it's interesting when you talk about the best players, maybe the player who, when you take out the team, makes the, has the biggest impact then. That's when you can really tell how good a player is when he's missing. I know Gundogan's been fantastic this season, but if you take Fernandinho away for a whole season, City don't flow and they don't tick in the same way. Um, interesting that, as you said, City continuously linked with a successor for Fernandinho. Pep was asked yesterday how many players he's going to get in the summer. It seems he's only going to buy two or three players this summer. What positions are City's priority, do you feel, if they want to become a Champions League winning side next year? Well, I do think that they need a real top-class experience, not not a, a prospect, but one who's ready-made, who's there now, central defender to... Uh, you know, we we all you know I like to think we all love Vincent Company and we know the qualities that he brings. And if you could guarantee, which we can't, that he could play sixty games next season at top level and be fully fit, uh, I would be a lot less concerned. But I don't think for one second that he's going to do that, and I don't think he will think he can do that. Um, so therefore, you know, whether that's somebody that's already around Europe, you know. I'm not saying they're going to go and do this, but you know Sergio Ramos or somebody like that who is who's been playing at that level uh, in that position for a long time, who you can know you can bring in. You don't need to acclimatize them. You don't need to to sort of say oh, he's one for the future and he'll develop. And you know an absolute ready-made top-class centre half feels like to me. There's a is a priority. Yeah. I do think that City need another striker. You know, a real, uh, uh, perhaps a different type of striker. Uh, although it's hard to imagine that in the way that Pep's team plays, because you know they're all um, they're all quite similar, really, in in terms of, of build and movement, and that's clearly the the way he wants his team to play. But you do wonder whether occasionally it might be nice to have, you know, an Eddie and another Jekyll. version of Edin Dzeko or something like that that at least gives them another option. With either within games or over the course of a season, um, those would be the uh, the two particularly that I would go for, um, and and maybe they have, they do have to consider a, you know, another option as a defensive midfield player, you know, to to supplement Fernandinho. Even though I personally feel he could <laughs> he could carry on another yeah. season without any problem. Yeah, I, I think that that's the obvious one. The defensive midfield they've needed that for a while. Um, it does worry me Fernandinho's legs. I remember his first season at City when he was he was a few years younger than he is now, uh, and he absolutely ran himself into the ground. He, he was Yaya Torre's legs as well as his own because Yaya <coughs> provided the control and everything else that Fernandinho gives you now, <coughs> but he didn't work as hard. So Fernandinho was was the man he was putting in the yards, and uh, he was fabulous the first half of the season. That time of the season when Pellegrini came in, Fernandinho was really really good. And the second half of the season, he just he pretty much fell apart physically. I thought, he, he, you know, he looked like he, his legs had gone. And I think he's he's pretty much admitted it since that he wasn't quite ready for the Premier League. You know, he's played in Ukraine, <coughs> where you can where you can take your rest in certain games. Um, you don't play as many games, and he I don't think he quite I think he underestimated just how physically difficult it was going to be playing in the Premier League, and he ran out of steam in that first season. Since then, we've seen him 
he, I think he sort of he paces himself a little better than, than, than he did then and he perhaps looks after himself a little bit better I'm not saying he, he wasn't doing anyway but he's probably found new ways of you know tweaking his diet or whatever just to just to give himself an extra little edge um, but he's, he's 33 he can't keep on forever uh, he could get an injury so he, he definitely need that, that extra option at defensive midfield uh, and like you say I mean Fernandinho could, could easily play mm-hmm. in any of the other roles so you know it gives them another option if, you, if you're chasing the game uh, you could bring Fred or well it wouldn't be Fred because it, I think they pretty much lost him yeah, to Jorginho or Vigo yeah Jorginho seems to be the man at the moment uh, bring him off the bench push Fernandinho or even bring Fernandinho off the bench and play him in a further forward position, we've seen him do it. You know, he's got a great shot on him. He's got a great pass on him. He could play. He could play as an eight or a ten as well as, well as he does for a six. Um, so you know, it just it just sort of expands your options. They haven't got that many at the moment. Gundogan's done all right there, but Gundogan worries me in terms of um, his physicality. He doesn't get. He always looks when he tackles. He always looks like he's he's worried about his knee. Yeah. Uh, which is understand. it is understandable, but it's not what you want, you know. If, if you if you've got somebody going into a fifty fifty challenge, you want him to win it. Um, so yeah, they definitely need that. Like you say, an attacking player. I'm not sure they'll go for an out and out striker. The fact that he was going for Sanchez, it, I mean, you obviously can't play Sanchez. Well, Mares as Mares well. Mares yeah, as well. Monaco as well as linked. Yeah, yeah. All the names are players who who can who can play across across the three really. Um, and that, that's that's probably what you want. But, uh, to me, I, you want somebody who scores goals. You know, that's a top and bottom. Aguero's not getting any younger. Uh, Jesus has shown he's got an eye for goal, but he's still young and he's still he's still a bit up and down in terms of his form. Um, and especially if you're talking about Mendy coming back in next season and then playing three at the back. You know, if you're playing three at the back. It makes sense to me to have two strikers. He did it at the start of the season, didn't they? Had Aguero and Jesus as a pair, and they absolutely ripped it up. They, they scored six at Watford. They scored uh, five against Liverpool. They scored four at Feyenoord. You know, and they just looked—they looked absolute dynamite with those two up front together, and with Mendy going down the left. So, yeah, you know, if you lose one, if, if you have that system and it's working, and you lose Aguero or Jesus to injury. And both of them have had a fair, a fair bit of injury since they joined City. Well, you need another man who can come in and uh, who can come in and spell them, and who can come in and and set the place. Um, so for me, I, I go for a I go for a, somebody who score who does score goals. I mean, uh, you know, somebody like Griezmann. I know it, it won't be difficult because everybody wants Griezmann, but uh, somebody like that who 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 is a noted goal scorer around somebody who can play in that yeah. position like Sanchez or. Or Mares, but don't necessarily score a, a, a huge bundle of goals. And I, the, re, the, the name that was probably in my mind as an example, anyway, of what I was thinking about was Lewandowski, mm-hmm. um, because he he would offer something slightly different. I, you know, he, he is an out and out striker, um, but Pep knows him as well, and you know, you'd like to think he could fit into what what he wants, Pep. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean. Obviously, Jesus missed a big chunk of the season, and when that happened, all the pressure was on Aguero. And again, I, I qualify that by saying that we've seen Raheem Sterling play centrally, and without a striker in theory, City have, have still scored goals. 
um, and Lucas Nemech is coming through and who, who knows uh, what, what else will come through but I still feel as if there needs to be another striker and especially if you're going to play two then you, you can't rest them can you You know, if you're going to play three at the back two wing backs and they two strikers both, they've yeah. got to play every game so you've got to have a third striker if only to rotate yeah, it's interesting that point you make there. Do you both think that three five two is the way forward next season if Pep can get his men in then? Do you think that's the formation he still sees the city side going forward in? With horses for courses. Yeah. I think he'll he'll change it as and when, you know, if, if uh, you know, he don't need to read Pep's mind. He, <laughs> if he's if he's playing a team where three five two is gonna he's gonna, he's gonna yeah. be a benefit, well pick three five two. If it's three four three, we'll pick three three four three. You know. If it, if it's Going back to a four-two-three-one, yeah. like the old Pellegrini days, well, we'll do that. You know, it's there's no hard and fast, and that that's the beauty when you've got a squad like he's got, where you've got players who can play here, there, and everywhere. And smart players, yeah, who you can tell them to do it, and they'll just slot in and and perform that that task uh, as if they've been doing it all season. You know, I, I think I think we're at that stage. We've seen them do it. You know, and when you talk to the players afterwards, they, they say that. There's that feeling you go on the pitch and you know exactly what you've got to do, and you, you you've got the confidence of knowing that in any given situation you're going to know how to deal with it, and you know that all comes into your formation as well. It's it's all about uh, knowing how how to play against a certain team in a certain manner. Yeah. You know, Pep's Pep's the master of this, isn't he? You know, he, he doesn't need doesn't need us teaching teaching him to suck eggs, but. Uh, I think I think the the possibilities are endless in terms yeah. of the tactics. I mean, Pellegrini's made me laugh because he, whenever you asked him about his formation, he just said they're all telephone numbers. <laughs> so all, all he does, he said he doesn't even talk about formations. He just, just puts players out on the pitch and tells them what he wants them to do, and then they, they go out and do it. You know, and if if they're sticking to a, a four three three, you know, it's pretty much where you start the match, really. Mm. You start with four there, three there, and three there. And then after that, you just go on. And if you're attacking, you you're all attacking, and when you're defending, you're all defending. And I I, I tend to agree with that a little bit, but uh, I, I know what you're saying. So yeah, I think it's a bit of a strategy for a, for a game. But uh, I think it's the video game generation who likes yes. to know what formation to choose and they're playing yeah, FIFA and yeah. Football Manager online. But Absolutely. Yeah. No, um, like we said, another good win for City. Three more games to get these Premier League records. One more win to set the points record. One more goal to equal Chelsea's scoring record. I don't think we're in any doubt that City will score two more goals before the end of the season. The game against Huddersfield on the weekend is going to be that defining moment where they finally get the trophy. It's going to be a joyous atmosphere. I think Pep said after the game he's going to get his hair cut specially for it. I'm not sure exactly what he's going to do. but uh, I'll get mine. Yeah. Same barbers. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be an exciting day. You must be very excited to finally see it confirmed because it's one thing being champions but it's when you have that new wallpaper on your phone of Raheem Sterling lifting the Premier League trophy over his head that's what you want isn't it? You're going you for a polish as well aren't you? Yeah yeah I will do yeah new, new, new haircut yeah um, it's just so strange though the way it's all happened hasn't it you know that Swansea they come out and that's the day of celebration and then you go to West Ham and then you've got the Huddersfield game after that you've got the Brighton game and still there's another one after that at Southampton Um I wonder whether, you know, we saw the pitch invasion after the Swansea game. Are, are they going to do that again? I hope not. I hope people stay off this time. Be a lap of um, honour, won't they? Yeah, so they can do all that and, and properly sort of celebrate with the crowd. I, I have a feeling that they will this time um, stay off. Um, and, 
you know, the, we've seen the details of the parade now. They're not going to go to the stadium. So therefore, the in-stadium celebration is the one against Huddersfield, isn't it? And, um, you know, yeah, it's just a shame, really, that um, having had two of these massively euphoric victories on the last day of the season at home yeah. uh, that carried into the presentation that ju- ju- was just amazing, that this time it's a little bit different. Um, See, but, you it, know. it never happens. It never happens so far. After those last two, when they won it on the last, it's, yeah, it's been a case of, oh, next time, can we win it with, five like, games with, with ten games to go? We don't have all this. And then we give now they that. win it with, with five games to go, and it's like, oh, we want it, we want the drama back. <laughs> Getting bored of this winning. No, I'm yeah. not saying that. I'm. I mean, I've, I've loved the fact that they've won it with with time to go, and uh you know and you can just sort of relax and and just just savor what what is a very special football team but it, it does mean that these celebrations are sort of drawn out and yeah. and uh, and can feel a little bit of an anticlimax but that doesn't mean to say I won't go to the Huddersfield game um G'd up ready to watch it all and, uh, and 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 loving it all and um you know bring it on it's is interesting again uh, from my chat with Fernandino he talked about the Huddersfield game and it's, it's obviously something they've talked about as a squad they they want to break the records in that Huddersfield yeah. game if they win they break the points record if they score two goals yeah. they break the goals record uh, and the words Fernandino used to me was that he wants in a, he said in a hundred years he wants people still talking about Manchester City 2017-2018 uh, so I think that that's the plan for next week Go out and win the game, score at least two goals, uh, and then get the trophy. And it, I mean, Pep, Pep said, I mean, no doubt this will get misinterpreted, but Pep said after the game, if we if we get the most points, it's saying if we win the next game, we'll be the best team in the history of the Premier League. Yeah. Now people are going to start jumping up and down. About so, that. You know, what about United? Yeah, and the, yeah. What about Arsenal's Invincibles? Yeah. What about Chelsea? But he meant statistically, yeah. clearly. You, can't, you, know, argue you can't if you, if you score more points than anyone else. It's, it's perhaps he should have said the best season yeah. in the history of Premier League. If they, if they win it the next two years, I think it's fair, yeah. fair to say that they are the best team in the history of the Premier League. Um, but yeah, going going into that, if, if they can go into the day, and this is the beauty of it now that those players are going to be rather than sort of thinking about the holidays, yeah. they're thinking about next Sunday, aren't they? And they're thinking we're at home, we've won the title. Um, we're going to get the trophy at the end. We want to go out and put on a show. I feel a bit sorry for Huddersfield, to be honest. Because I think they could get a pan in there. They're still in the relegation area. Uh, and they're going to be given a guard of honour. And they're going to be standing there clapping these lads out and thinking, oh my goodness. <laughs> but having said that, when, when City played at Huddersfield earlier in the season, they're one of the teams that actually gave City more yeah, as a goal. Exciting, than wasn't it? They really went out and they, they were physical without being dirty. They really pushed City. And, it, you know, City only won it in the last few minutes, didn't they? So... You know, you just sort of wonder now. Have Huddersfield still got? They still had a little bit of that early season umph about them. Huddersfield, when they started well and they were they were really, they beat United, didn't they? And they were they were sort of uh, up for it. You, you kind of feel that that's been knocked out of them a little bit. Uh, and they come into the they come into the, the Etihad as like sacrificial lambs to the slaughter. Um, and you do fear for them a little bit, um, but I think City are going to go out there, want to put on a show. Uh, break the records, lift the trophy, and turn it into a real, real carnival kind of day. There's another record I'd like to see go, um, which would be 
Not one that's not necessary. another one, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but don't get me started on that. Uh, but David Silva, if he scores in any of the games that are remaining, yeah. he be, City will be the first team, I think, with five players that have scored more than ten get, get goals in a season, which is amazing. So I hope that happens. Yeah. Just a pity that Aguero can't come back and get his 200th goal yeah, just to, to round everything up as well. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe come back for the last match at Southampton and nick a goal. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> well, I think if, if Kevin De Bruyne scores two, that makes it. Wouldn't that be six? Wow, six, six players with it. Yeah. Well, you know, let's let's do it all then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd yeah. be uh, that'd be remarkable. I know a record that looks poised to go. Phil Foden going to be the youngest ever winner of a Premier League medal if he gets. I think if he gets one more game, he gets the guaranteed five appearances for his own personal medal. He'll get. Well, that as anyway. Stuart has explained, yeah. it's not as simple as that, is it, Stuart? No, Are you tired of doing well, this no, explanation. He, no, he's right. He's right. In that, in the, if he if he gets a five, he definitely gets a medal. Does he have to appear to get the five? Can he be on the bench? He has to no, no, he has, he has to actually play. He has to come on. So he has to be on the field and play. It's going to happen in these five games. Yeah, but he, no, he he doesn't. I mean, he, he he could end up with four and still not and still get a medal because basically. You, I'll explain it for you. <laughs> okay. yeah. You get four every. If you win the league, you get forty medals. You've got to give one to every player who has played at least five games, even if you hate his guts and you've flirted him off in January. Van Gogh. No, they don't. Hate, they like Van he's, he's, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. He's just he's just been out and loved. Wrong time. But Mangala gets gets yeah. a medal, whether they think, you know if if there's somebody being mean minded yeah. and saying, well, we don't think Mangala should have one. They've got to give him yeah. one because he's played, he's played five far. games. That is that is set in stone. They have to give a player a medal if he's if he's played five in five games. But then, any medals that are left over, they can give them out as they see fit. So the manager will get yeah. one, his coaching staff will probably get one. No, Pep, they'll be giving them to the laundry yeah. ladies. What about me? What about me? <laughs> well, I yeah, want yeah, one. You might be too fancy. you're 41st. But, so, the, yeah, so basically, the, the ones that are left over after everybody who's played at least five games get distributed. Yeah. People, I keep seeing people on Twitter keep tweeting at me saying that the reserve keeper has to get one. No, he doesn't. No. But he always does get one because clubs recognise that the guy who's sat on the bench all season has done a, done a good yeah. job. You know, he's, he's not been coming on the field, but he's he's the one who's supported the main man, and he's always been there. And they're always very professional, and they always they're always ready if, if called upon. So Bravo will get one, uh, and rightly so, even though he won't play five games. But that isn't set in stone. The Premier League no. don't say you have to give the, the reserve keeper one, but they always do give him one. And then, you know, players like Foden and, and Diaz, maybe, and players like that who, who sort of played a, a peripheral part um, will get one anyway. But it, it makes sense to me to make sure that players like that get yeah. five games yeah, under the belt. Then they feel justified. They don't feel like, well, they just give me one. Like a token. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would be a little bit of, of a gesture rather than... If they're playing five games, you can perhaps sort of think, well, yeah, I did, I did, a little, I did my little bit yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they if they do try and make sure the players like that do play the five games. Um, I think Mendy's got the five games now, hasn't he? Yeah. So you know, he's, he's, it doesn't matter with him anyway. But yeah, I mean, so that's it. I mean, who gets them beyond those fringe players is is down I mean, down the club's discretion. That they'll, I think you should just throw them in the middle of the room and let them scramble. <laughs> That'll make a good video, isn't it? Instagram. We'll have to wait and see for that. Um, it's interesting what you said there about Foden as well. It'd be nice to see him. It'll be give City fans that lift at the end so the future is bright as well, just as bright as the, the current um, team selection for Sunday then. Do you think it's going to be the strongest 11 possible 
for this coronation. It feels like the right thing to do is to pick what you maybe you know, best you eleven sort of the eleven yeah. of, who've contributed the most, or yeah. uh, you know, so so that they get that those plaudits. So. I don't think there'll be any major surprises, will there? I don't think it's the day, really, to suddenly go, oh, we'll give Diaz again. Yeah. And that's nothing against Brahim Diaz, but you you want the 11 who've been the stalwarts of the, yeah. of the season. Yeah, which would be Edison, Walker, Delph, Company Otamendi, Fernandinho, De Bruyne, Silva, Sterling, Jesus, Sane, for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. would have been Aguero, obviously. Yeah, yeah would have been Aguero. Yeah. I mean, the centre-backs is, is, is debatable as well, because... People forget Stones was excellent for the start of the season. Um, and Laporte hasn't really had, had much of an opportunity. But, so you, you, know. stick, you stick those types of players. Yaya, I'd like to see yeah, off the bench. bench. I think you probably see the likes of Yaya, Foden, and maybe Stones if he's fit off the bench. And yeah. Give mm-hmm. them all a chance. You get a bit of a mixture down for the bench. Bernardo as well. They've all made, made good contributions, yeah. important contributions. Like you said, though, I think one of the main men are Delft. Again, just every week he was under the radar. Fantastic. Yeah, for me now, he's he's absolutely at least the backup to Mendy. Yeah, um, they don't need to think about another left back now. When, when Mendy was out injured for all, all that time, and especially when it got to January, I, I heard a lot of City fans saying, "Why are they not looking at a left back? Why not look at the left back?" But I've actually convinced myself now that, not- that Mendy with Delph as, as a backup. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen with Zinchenko, but I think that's that's fine. Mm. Um, I haven't got a problem with that. And you mentioned before, Fernandinho can play in, in that role potentially. He can play anywhere yeah. in, in those types of roles. Danilo has, has played there as well. I don't think that's a, a problem area at all. No, no so it would be interesting to see the exact In fact, I wonder whether, whether uh, Mendy seriously... Slightly yeah, worried about his position now. Well, he told me that. He told me <laughs> last week. He said he was worried about. Not he, was, he was laughing, but I think he was he was serious as well. Uh, and I think that you saw Delph. I don't know if it's at West Ham, but the precision of his passing. Every, he was even thumping those a couple of crossfield balls, wasn't mm-hmm. he, out to the right wing to, to Sterling. And Pep loves those, doesn't he? The dark he, he loves that passing. He, he had Collar off doing it last season. Yeah. He brought the port in. One of the reasons he brought him in is because he does that. Well. And he plays left back as well, of course. Yeah, yeah. Think, yeah. He's another one. He's another one. But you know, yeah. If you're Guardiola, you've seen Delph do that and play the way he has. He, the the only doubt I would have about Delph is when you get to the later stage of the Champions League. Again, yeah. if you're up against Salah or somebody like that, Real Madrid, you want, mm. yeah, do you want somebody who's who is a, a died in the wool left back who who uh, well, Mendy's who knows not even position. that, is it? Perhaps not, perhaps not. But you you probably throw a play through in the back, wouldn't you? In that situation, yeah. that's how they cope with it last time. It's a good problem to have, isn't it? Getting to a Champions League semi-final and worrying about your defensive mm. left left back choice anyway. But I think that's all we've got time for today. It's going to be the excitement builds ahead of Sunday. It should be a fantastic atmosphere and a fantastic opportunity to celebrate the Premier League champions and probably. As Pep said, they're going to go down the history. As Fernando Dino said, in a hundred years' time, they might be listening to this podcast and saying, Ian Cheeseman was right. I hope he got his medal. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, thank you both for joining me today. No, they were saying for once, Ian Cheeseman was right. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? And remember Stuart's haircut for that, that day. Wow, wasn't it amazing? That blue, blue rinse he had. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> thank you very much. Remember to subscribe to Talking City on ACAST, the new podcast software we're using and on iTunes as always and stick with the Manchester Evening News for all the build up to the big match with Huddersfield.